Now I just want to speak a little bit more about those four meditations. So those four protective meditations, the list is actually not to be found in the suttas. Even, you know, all of the four meditations can individually be found, but they were, you know, put together in a list later, about in the 5th century BC in Sri Lanka. I think they were showing up for the first time. And... They are called protective meditations because they guard the mind from uh, negative activity and encourage the mind, you know, to come out of old habits and develop wholesome qualities which are essential for the path. So they are like specific remedies we take for a specific illness. And they reinforce positive mind states and the undermine unskillful mind states. And in the traditional order, they are is usually started with the recollection of the Buddha, then metta, then asuba or the not beautiful side of the body, and the last one would be recollection of death. But I have decided for this retreat to do a different order because I think that works better for people who haven't grown up as Buddhists. And the order I'm going to choose to do it is I'm starting with the non-beautiful side of the body, Asuba, then doing a recollection of death, then Metta, and then ending with recollection on the Buddha. I think it's more expedient for us because most people here on this uh, meeting haven't grown up as Buddhists. There's just, I think, Manique and Damika who have grown up in Sri Lanka, and I don't think there's anyone else. So these four different recollections, different meditations, the first two, Asuba and Recollection of Death, show us our limitations in terms of the realities of a human life and encourage letting go. And the other two, metta and recollection of the Buddha, they show us the true potential of a human life and uplifting the mind. And together those, you know, those four meditations, they show us how things truly are. And because of that, you know, bringing it the mind, bringing it into the middle and uh, helping with balancing and bringing more peace in our lives. So the Asuba practice, Asuba means, you know, literally in Pali it would mean Suba is beautiful and Asuba is not beautiful. So it shows us the part of the body you know, which we usually don't look at. For example, you know, cutting open the body and looking inside, what we see is not particularly beautiful. And that kind of meditation is encouraged, you know, to not to get disgusted about the body, but to balance out if there is a great amount of lust, maybe, you know, with our own bodies or with the bodies of others. It can help us to see a side we usually don't look at. 
it's an antidote to lust and it, it supports detachment and you know brings us the full picture of what the body actually is. And often, you know, in these meditations, we're looking at the body in terms of skin, flesh and bones, or looking at the body in terms of what we can see from the outside, skin, hair, fingernails and teeth, and toenails. So that can also give us a different way of looking at the body. And then we can ask ourselves, you know, what am I fascinated with here is it the skin or is it the fingernails or is it the teeth and that just it brings some humor in the practice and also some real it stops the mind if you've never thought that way so it brings us the full picture and then there's also the meditation on the elements you know seeing that the body is consists of the elements or consists of many different parts and when it, it's like a you know comparing it with a riding animal a mount animal when the time comes to give it back give it back to nature if we have considered that often enough we won't have such a great difficulty in giving it back it helps us you know see the empty of the body, the not-selfness of the body. The body doesn't exist from its own side, but it's a coming together of many components, many causes and conditions. And we do have you know, like a certain influence you know, to keep it healthy by exercising it and eating well. But finally, we don't have control because everybody will die one day. No matter, you know, how healthy we have been eating and how well we have been exercising. When the time comes, we have to give the body back. Give it back to nature. The rightful owner of the body. So, you know, that's an antidote to last. But it's also an antidote to identification with the body as me and mine. And the classic uh, meditation also in our chanting book would be, we have a chant on the 32 parts of the body. There's like a whole list of all different parts, like, you know, liver and lung and brains and blood and mucus and stomach and all of the bits and pieces. And it's just like a helpful way of thinking to, to really take it home that this body is not just a thing. It's, it consists of many, many pieces. And all of them, you know, can fail. And there are so many. So there are so many chances, you know, for one of those pieces to not operate well and then we get sick. Or we even die. So that's the Asuba practice. And tomorrow I'm going to do a guided meditation in the morning on this. We have mainly speaking about, you know, the body parts and then afterwards uh, the elements. And then the second one is a recollection of death. We're going to do that tomorrow in the afternoon.
And that's, you know, traditionally done to give a sense of urgency, some vega in the Pali language, a remedy for heedlessness, and teaching us about life. Because death is not the opposite of life, death is just the opposite of birth. And ideally, you know, it, it sets free more energy because we understand more clearly, yes, it's part of life. It's a healing process, you know, to consider that. It's a sense of relief. And at the same time, it's the cutting edge of impermanence. So th those two we're going to do tomorrow. And then on the next day, on Sunday, we're going to in the morning do metta meditation. I'm sure many of you have heard about this meditation on loving kindness. One of the four Brahma Viharas, the root Brahma Vihara, really. And uh, it's an antidote to anger and ill will and to fear as well. Opens the heart, opens the mind. You know, t helps us to come back on track when we're lost in aversion. And helps us, you know, to embrace things as they truly are. Because it opens the mind wide. And at the same time, it trains us in kindness towards ourselves and our own mind states and bodies. And also helps us, you know, to understand others better and have more capacity for kindness. And then the last one is the recollection of the Buddha, which, you know, shows us our ultimate capacity to have the same capacity as the Buddha. And to connect you know, with our inner Buddha, our own capacity for full awakening. And also take some courage you know, from the historic Buddha as our teacher and our role model. And then you know, there's many other Buddhas in, uh, you know, in other schools of Buddhism. For example, next to me I have Kuan Yin, which is from the Mahayana tradition, it features, also features in the Theravada, but only very little. Kun Yin is the uh, embodiment of compassion. And then above me, I have the Tibetan Vajrasattva, the Buddha of uh, purification. That practice is done in the Tibetan tradition, you know, in order to... Um, encourage uh, visualization of like just purifying the body. Maybe I can speak about it a little bit more tomorrow, uh, after tomorrow. So there's all different skillful means, but we I'm mainly teaching from the core teaching of early Buddhism, which is the root of all of those teachings. And it also helps us to overcome fear, the recollection of the Buddha. Because it shows us what's possible, you know, if we really act on what we have seen in the meditation to be true, if we really act on that, our life starts to open up, our mind starts to open up, our heart starts to open up. And the Dhamma is meeting us.
and uh, you know we we become one more confident in yes I can do this and I can learn from everything I can learn from my mistakes as well as from my triumphs I can learn from everything just you know like the Buddha too so those protective meditations are not like talismans you know who protect us from having bad luck or having a problem but it's it's more like it gives us tools to stay balanced and to learn from our mistakes and to respond in a way which leads towards greater freedom and protects us from our own delusions and from the delusions of others because it's it's uh, tools for transformation and you know and if we have those then we can take any kind of obstacle it becomes an opportunity and reminds us of that which is really true and possible and in a meditation we can use those four either as a you know as a as an element which we do at the beginning of a sit for example uh, you know do recollection on, on death for a few minutes, for 10 minutes, for 20 minutes, and then re resume with our own usual practice. Or we can do it as a main meditation. And all four of them, they can either be done just at the beginning or end of a meditation in order you know, to get the mind settled, or also as a whole session. And they're all, all four of them are grounding and nourishing, and, you know, because they protect us from getting lost. And that's why it can be very helpful in the beginning of the meditation when the mind is not yet really settled. It can help us to uh, get settled and for the mind, you know, to quiet down. Because it helps us, you know, to understand how to meet what is in the right way rather than you know kind of making the grooves of habitual thinking deeper we are just helping the mind to come out of those grooves into new ways of considering what it is you know to have a human body or what it the potential is of a human mind And then, you know, through that, with the support of the refugees and the precepts, we, we have a whole different outlook onto our lives, really. Because it shows us, you know, that samsara and, the, you know, the way of being here in the world has its limitations. But if we acknowledge those limitations and really, you know, accept them for what they are, other doors of freedom start to open up because those limitations and the potential, they are working together. And that's what's so wonderful about these four protective meditations is that it really makes that very clear. 
and we can't, you know, just step out all at once. It is a training, a gradual path. And we need to, you know, like any other skill, if it's an instrument or learning a sport or learning to drive a car, we need to put in the time. We need to have a clear motivation and really channeling the energy with the help of this meditation instructions. And the sincerity you know, of the motivation is, is like crucial for that. So, you know, remembering the wish, remembering why you're doing this. Why did you come on this retreat? Why do you meditate? That's really a very important thing to remember. And His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, awakening does not happen without a sincere motivation. It's just impossible. It's too difficult. It needs to be really clear. Why are you doing this? It's not sheer willpower or goal-orientedness because that closes us down. But it needs to be that heart energy, that real strong wish of the heart because it opens the mind. And goal, you know, goal orientation, willpower shuts the mind down. That doesn't really work. We need, you know, to apply energy, but it needs to come from that heart wish. And it all starts, you know, by hearing or reading or learning about the teaching from another who is already a little bit more ahead of ourselves. And also applying what's called Yoniso Manisikara, which is radical or thorough attention or radical or thorough contemplation. And those four meditations are radical ways of looking at the body and at the mind. And uh, yoni, so the word yoni means womb or root. So yoni, so manisikara means to go back to the womb where it all starts, to go back to the root where it all begins. To not get lost in the stories but to come back to where it all starts. And these meditations can really help us to do that. And then, you know, this what I share with you here, or you might have heard it earlier, you know, that's like starts as information, and then through contemplating it, it becomes our knowledge, and then through practicing with it, it becomes an intuitive understanding a non-conceptual understanding, a digested experience, an understood experience, which is wisdom. And that takes time. And, you know, we have just two days, a bit, little bit more than two days. So that's better than just two hours, but it's not going to be enough, you know, to really liberate you fully from all the defilements. But it can give you a taste of, of what is possible. And then you take that with you into your life and integrate it. And a home retreat like this, you know, might be a little bit more difficult than being in a center. But, you know, if you're doing it in your own four walls and... You know, you get a taste how that is to really practice 
with a clear motivation for two days. Maybe, you know, it will help you to be more capable of doing that also outside of an online retreat. So I think that's all, you know, I'd like to share. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.